We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, Hornets fans, and welcome back to another BuzzBeat. This is Richie. I hate to be a broken record, but before we get into this episode, the best way, the best free way to support us right now is to give a five-star rating on Apple Podcast. If you go as far as taking out two minutes of your day and writing a review, that's awesome as well. We get to read those on upcoming episodes, but also if you screenshot that specific review our way we will send you guys an invite to our slack channel conversation with fellow hornets fans that are not only talking about the hornets but they're talking about tv and just anything that's happening in the world we just keep it light uh we have conversations about the off season and really any kind of topical discussions that are taking place so if you want to be a part of that you can always get in by sending in a rating and review and just screenshot that to us at buzzbeatpod on twitter crazy to think that we are wrapping up the season here as there are three games left hornets play the raptors again on tuesday they play the rockets on friday which i will be in attendance and then the cavaliers on sunday so i think this season has definitely been a long one in many people's estimation but it's almost it's almost there. It's almost there. I want to talk about the performances of some of the younger players over the last few games with the Hornets and the game that just went final between the Hornets and the Raptors. Charlotte lost 128-108. I would say the game in spurts felt somewhat closer than that, a little bit more competitive at points, and the young guys played relatively well. It definitely felt like a Greensboro Swarm game with some of the names out there and obviously the number of players that were were out. I will share my thoughts on them. But also, at some point, maybe later this week, I want to talk about the elements of the new CBA. But I might have to get a co-host to kind of bounce my ideas off of them. So let's get into this game. Let's get into some of the last few games and how these young players are looking. The starters for the Hornets, we've got Teo Maladon, Svee, Bryce, JT Thor, and Mark Williams against the Raptors. The 
Toronto Raptors started off strong and, and just finished strong throughout the game in terms of scoring in the paint. Lots of touches inside that painted area. A lot of dump-offs to teammates around the rim. The penetration just was was nonstop. And the Hornets tried to get some protection with that with a few zone possessions, but Toronto still scored at the rim at will. The purpose of a zone possession, a zone defense, is to partially slow down the team, but also to make sure that inside presence is taken away. And that just didn't happen on the few possessions that they tried that. You can understand if the opponent gets some open looks from deep, but using the zone to stop penetration and still give it up kind of defeats the purpose of trying that. I just think overall, the half-court transition defense from the Hornets was lacking. They also turned the ball over too frequently, which obviously is not an uncommon occurrence, and it's probably somewhat to be expected when you're playing players that don't have much court time together. The youth plays a role in that. I thought Fred Van Vliet was awesome for Toronto. Even though he lacks size, he uses his strength and his body to shield his opponents really well. He uses angles perfectly. Clifford even made a mention of him in his post-game media availability and how it's very hard for them to keep him under control out of the pick and roll, and they will have to adjust because they obviously play them again on Tuesday. And OG and Yunobi just fed off of Fred's impact in the way he and others were able to collapse the defense, and he was absolutely on fire from the corner. And Yunobi was 4-4 on corner threes. So Raptors did end up winning this game 128-108. Raptors are 39-39. and Hornets fall to 26-53. and The players on the bench that did not play, Nick Richards, was a coach's decision. And there was some mention with P.J. Washington out that Richards, Kai Jones, and Mark Williams could all play today, but that did not happen. I know that they've been trying to alternate the centers, just having two of them play at a time. But Clifford did hint that all three could play, but obviously that did not happen with Nick Richards just sitting this one out. So let's talk about some of the players, the younger players for the Hornets Tail Maladon, I'll start with him. His three-point shot was tough to watch in this game. 0 of 6. Some were just completely off the mark by a good margin. And one of them was completely airballed in the first quarter. I thought the length of the Raptors really bothered him. He got caught several times in the paint with nowhere to go. They forced him to pick up his dribble with no real plan. And sometimes he needed to take like fading shots, wild shots that were contested. I I saw more of that in the first half than I did the second half. He did have one sequence in the first quarter on back-to-back possessions where he made a floater and then on the following possession hit Mark Williams on a touch lob pass for the assist. But overall, I thought he had some struggles out there for the majority of the game, more so in the shooting department. I guess the one thing that he does have going for him is his distribution as a point guard. So even when things aren't going well for him in other areas of the court, his shot is not falling. He can still be a facilitator 
and he finished with 14 total assists on the game. He had some nice backdoor passes in this game. Just being able to read where the gaps are going to be in the defense. He had this slick pass where he was driving in the fourth quarter. He left his feet. He got his defender up in the air. And he was basically out of bounds at this point. And he dropped it off behind him to Kai Jones for a dunk. So Teo finished with eight points, 14 assists, eight rebounds in the 40 minutes of play. So when you look at that, those counting numbers there, looked very good. Uh, but in terms of the shooting, he was not... He was not very good. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f- best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture-themed trophies for six basketball-related activities. Trophies like the Dominic Toretto I Live My Life a Quarter Mile at a Time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Uh, Mark Williams was a force on the offensive glass. Seven of his 12 rebounds came on that end. They actually opened up the game on back-to-back possessions with empty side pick and roll with Teo Maladon, but neither resulted in anything. They tried to get things going there. I think when you look at Mark's box score, I think it was a little bit deceiving. I'm not, I'm not saying he played poorly by any means. He didn't play poorly, but most of his points were coming off the offensive glass and putbacks. He had a post-up opportunity where he made a really nice move and ended up missing a left-handed hook shot, but he ultimately scored on the possession because he was able to get his own rebound. I just felt like that was his game against the Raptors, just points off of offensive rebounds. Defensively, I thought he was prone to leaving his feet too frequently and allowing just a subtle head fake from Pirtle or whoever he was guarding to get him off the floor. 
And I know that he just loves to block shots and he's really good at it, obviously, but he's also got to know when to stay down and just allow his wingspan to take over. His length will do most of the work if he can just be smart about what he needs to do. He gets over antsy in that department and it feels like it leads to more bad than good with his play. So box score, 15 points, 12 rebounds. I think that's fairly impressive, but I don't think the impact was as great as by just looking at those numbers. Kai Jones, Steve Clifford actually made a comment uh, prior to the game about a positional debate when it comes to Kai Jones. He mentioned that he will play a little bit of four and five moving forward in this game, but he also stated that the five position is his best. And I remember having these exact conversations over the summer when they played him half of the time at the four and then finished the final few games of Summer League at the five. And it was just evident that he was better suited for the center position. His energy, his skill set just meshes so well with what is asked of him out of the five. And he has to be involved in that initial action. He has to be the one that sets the screens and is being used as a rim runner, a pressure point at the rim. And like Clifford mentioned, he played time at both versus Toronto. But he again, he just makes more of an impact at the five position. He runs more freely. He feels more comfortable. He's getting blocks on the weak side. He had a couple of those in the second quarter. He's chasing after loose balls. He's running the court. And he just doesn't feel like he second guesses himself as much. Now, He's a very eager player. He wants to be involved in anything and everything, regardless of what position he plays. And regardless of what position he plays moving forward, whether it's the five or the four, he still has a lot of areas that he needs to work on. And I think ball handling is one of them. I think having a feel for the game is another one. And I think that just comes with experience and more court time. And, and getting a little stronger, among other things, are things that he needs to work on. But the things that I just mentioned, those feel like they're a little bit more exposed with him playing the four. With the five, the feel for the game is simply just setting a screen, rolling hard to the basket, and making a quick play. Ball handling, you don't see that a lot unless he's trying to make a play out of the short roll or taking the ball up the court off of a block or a steal. But when you play him at the four, you see that exposed a little bit more often. There was a point in the second quarter where he was making his imprint all over the game. And it felt awesome because he was playing the five. And then immediately after I make a comment about the impact that he is having on Twitter, Mark Williams comes into the game, not for Kai, but shifts Kai to the four. And I think maybe the first or second possession he's out there where he shifted over to the four, he's placed in the corner. Naturally, that's where you're going to place a four man. And obviously, you can't place Mark Williams over there. So he's used as a spacer, a corner spacer. And he catches the ball immediately on one of those first or two possessions and travels after catching the ball in the the left corner. So I think the comfortability is just not there yet with him as the four. And I've said this before, but, you know, he he's a guy, regardless of position, when he makes a play on the defensive end, he often turns up the effort and 
gets the speed up. He, he runs the court on the offensive end, and he ends up making a play there. So he had a huge block on Precious Achua, ran the court for a dunk from an assist from Bryce McGowan's. Really, really nice to see. Finished with 10 points on 5 of 10 shooting. Two misses of those 10 attempts were from three. Five rebounds on the day, as well as two assists. I didn't have any many notes on Bryce McGowan's or JT Thor, but I guess I can talk quickly about them right here before moving on to some other prominent players. McGowan's finished with 11 points, two rebounds, and two assists. I believe he opened up the Hornets scoring with a pull-up three-point shot. His three-point shot this season has not been very consistent, so it was good to see him get that one under his belt early in the game. He finished one of two from distance. The biggest thing that I see with McGowan's in this game and just kind of generally speaking, and probably his most underrated skill is not just his ability to get downhill and get to the rim, but his ability to draw fouls. I think his shooting foul draw rate is really, really high for when he does play. I think he drew three fouls alone in the first half. I don't have the numbers in front of me to verify that, but just based off my notes looking at that, he did have three fouls drawn in the first half. JT Thor, I don't have much on him, but he finished with eight points, two rebounds, and he is slowly becoming more comfortable with what he is doing out there on the court. I thought the most impressive thing specifically for JT in this midday game versus the Raptors was the baseline jumpers that he hit. He hit a 17-footer and one from about 12 feet. He also had his three-point streak continue of making one three-pointer in 11 consecutive games. But what was interesting about this, it didn't come until seven minutes left to play. And he had an opportunity at one point in the fourth quarter Earlier in the corner, no one was in front of him. He, he makes a catch out in the corner, but he smartly drove and, and picked up the foul. I thought this was one of the smarter plays that he made from him on the day. And I'm sure he knew, like in the back of his mind, that he had a, a streak going of consecutive games with the three-pointer made. And in that moment, he still decided to make the right basketball play. So... He eventually ended up hitting a left corner three to extend the streak to 11 games, but I thought that was pretty cool that he decided to be aggressive on the baseline with no one in front of him, and he got rewarded with a shooting foul drawn in that particular occurrence. The next three players that I'm going to mention have been probably impressing me the most over the last handful of games, although one of them didn't even play. In today's game, he's currently on the injury report. But let's start with James Booknight. 21 points on 7 of 11 shooting, 2 rebounds, and 1 assist. The two games prior to Toronto, he had 28 total points, 3 of 8 on 2-point field goals, 7 of 16 on 3-point field goals, 9 total assists. Eight total defensive rebounds and two offensive rebounds in those games against Chicago and OKC. His three-point shot continues to fall for him. He was five of seven against the Raptors. He's hitting stepbacks in transition. He's coming off screens. He's catching and shooting. He's just scoring in a variety of ways. They even ran an after-timeout play for him, specifically for him as the primary option where there was a cross screen 
from, I believe, Svi at this point. And actually, Svi wasn't actually setting it on book night, but he set it on the big, but it created a lot of um, confusion in the middle of the court, and book night just dashed across the baseline from the right side of the court to the left side of the court, and Teo hits him for a three-point make. And, and like recently, he just catches it, pulls, no hesitation, gets into his shot. He was also aggressive in getting to the rim against the Raptors and, and trying to get points in that fashion too. But some of his attempts there just kind of rimmed out. It's interesting too because Book Knight is kind of stuck in between two positions. He is playing more with the ball in his hands, which I think is good for his development because he's probably going to see time there. But he's been play, playing both the point guard and the off guard. There are times where he still over dribbles. And I remember a play specifically in the second quarter where he doesn't give the ball up. He kills a ton of time on the shot clock. And then at this point, it's getting late. So he feels like he needs to make a drive. He gets knocked off his path. The lack of strength makes him lose the ball out of bounds for a turnover. But overall, I think he's getting better at making quick decisions with the ball in his hands. He is obviously making quick decisions to shoot the ball. He's running the floor. He's just being more active, I think, on both ends and just being more aware of himself on where he needs to be, not only on the offensive side, but the defensive side. He's definitely showing positive signs, but it's really hard to judge at this time of the season. Just like the team who has nothing to play for at this point, it's much easier to play and succeed when there's not a lot on the line and the, and the pressure is off. So I, I think that's a factor that we need to be considering when looking at all these young players. There's not a lot of pressure. Now, you could you could make the argument that Book Knight is trying to compete for a spot for next year and leave a good taste in the mouth of the coaches as they move into the offseason. Yeah, I get that too. And obviously playing with players that are of lesser caliber also makes it more difficult to be successful. But I think the pressure being off, I think it makes it a little bit easier to play. I think the biggest thing moving forward with book night is number one, his maturity on and off the court. And number two, just playing within a system and playing within his role and not trying to do too much. If he realizes that he, he just plays much better without pounding the rock, moving the ball quickly. And in, especially if he's playing with a guy like LaMelo who is in full control of the offense, he's going to succeed at a much higher rate knowing that he doesn't have to be that guy that gets things going with the ball in his hands. Like just make quick decisions, be aggressive with the ball in your hands, but don't necessarily be the guy that over dribbles and tries to do it all. Let's go to Svi Mihailuk. Svi, uh, the last two games before Toronto, 34 points. 9 of 15 on two-point field goals, 4 of 10 on three-point field goals, 13 total assists, 5 total rebounds on the defensive side, and 2 offensive rebounds. In the most recent game against the Raptors, 33 minutes, he finished with a career-high 26 points, 5 assists, and 4 rebounds. In this game, he was attacking the rim, scoring from both the mid-range and behind the arc. He was certainly feeling himself in this game and wasn't shy about getting up his shots. He had a team-high 17 attempts on the day. He caught fire, I feel like, in the second quarter, had a four-point play in the third quarter, and was just a solid overall all-around contributor for the Hornets. 
I think my thoughts have definitely changed on him, obviously for the better, as I thought when the trade went down, he was just a throw-in. I didn't think that he'd have much of an impact. And just my general observations and thoughts on him, I think that he's a good mover of the ball. It doesn't stick when he has the ball in his hands. He's got a knack for driving, collapsing the defense, and kicking it out to the shooters. He's also fairly good at finding dump-offs to bigs at the rim. He hangs in the air as he's kind of drawing in those defenders only to drop it off to Mark Williams or JT Thor or Nick Richards, just trying his best to either score at the rim or make a last-ditch effort to make a pass to a big to get the assist. In terms of shooting, he's been efficient recently. Like, Obviously, he's shooting well from all over the court. But most importantly, like Book Knight, he's not hesitating. And he knows a good look versus a bad one. He's confident. When he gets that uncontested look, he goes up right away. Rarely do you see him take a contested shot, at least early in the possession. So Svee's been one of the better players and obviously the best player against the Raptors today. And it's going to be interesting how they view him moving forward this offseason and if they're going to, to bring him back. And then the last person I want to mention, and obviously he did not play against the Raptors today, is P.J. Washington. He got injured against the Bulls. But even in that first half prior to the injury, and obviously that game against OKC, he looked really, really good. I mean, they have been featuring him more as a prominent player in the offense because so many players have been out. And now he's been added to the list, clearly. But I think what's very intriguing about PJ is in terms of the ball in his hands or him being a player that is a low usage guy. They have put the ball in his hands more frequently in these last handful of games, and they are using him as a pick and roll ball handler, using him as a guy that can get downhill. They are running him off screens. He's just making plays when he's been out there. You look at that OKC game, and 17 of his 43 points were unassisted. That's a very solid ratio. And it shows that he's just more than a pick-and-pop player. Though, having said that, he likely projects more of a lower-usage guy with the roster around him, with LaMelo. But we've seen the skills to have more of a role when players get injured or where players go to the bench. And we've seen a little bit more of that usage this season with many players in and out of the lineup. So we've had this conversation before with PJ, but he's a free agent this offseason, and I see no reason why Charlotte won't be making him a priority, especially after failing to come to an extension before the season. And doesn't seem like they were entertaining trades involving him at the deadline, I'd feel comfortable saying that he's going to be a fairly strong priority this offseason, and I'd also feel comfortable giving him close to 17 to $20 million. I know most people would say that that's a little bit too high for a player that could fade into the background at times, but we've seen, especially in that OKC game, that the usage and the skill if you put it in his hands, like he can make plays. But yeah, I wouldn't go too much higher than that. But again, the market, 
his demands are going to play a big role into that. I will uh, probably hold off on the uh, CBA agreement talk till later in the week. Maybe I can bring on a co-host or two to talk about that. There are some things in there that I'm interested in for the Hornets. There are some things in there that I'm kind of indifferent to. And there are some things in there that just don't really apply to the Hornets, like some of the the ways that they're trying to curb the spending of the teams and the luxury tax. That just doesn't apply right now to Charlotte. But, you know, maybe five, ten years from now, maybe it will. We'll see. But I will go ahead and wrap here. I do want to kind of tease something. I'm working on a on getting a guest and I, I won't mention the name yet, but it's, it's definitely the biggest guest that we've ever had on the podcast. Nothing is set in stone. I actually talked to this person on the phone last Thursday. He definitely wants to come on, but he's got to run some things by uh, his agent before he can can come on and even if he doesn't come on even if it falls through i will reveal who it would have been i'll just i'll just leave you with that tease there and i appreciate you guys tuning in for another buzz beat as always we appreciate all the support this is richie take care go hornets